Zeke, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you on. Um, Zeke was the number two recruit in Tennis Recruiting Network coming out of his senior in his senior class. Signed with Illinois, where he was a two-time All First Ten, All First Team Big Ten performer. Currently um, in Orlando, getting ready to take on Florida tomorrow in the round of sixteen of the 2021 NCAA Championships. So, Zeke, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. Right. Hey, give us a little bit of background on like how you got started in tennis. And we, you know, we, we know a little bit about your story, but want to make sure everyone else out there knows your background and we can get into some of the details. Yeah, I uh, I was first introduced to tennis by uh, by my dad at a uh, really young age. I I, don't, I couldn't tell you exactly what age he put a racket in my hand, but he played uh, he played college tennis at a small D three school in St. Louis called Principia. Um, was a, was a two time NCAA winner. Uh, played a little bit after school, but um, at some point had to had to come to terms with the fact that he uh, maybe tennis wasn't how he's going to make make his living. So he had to had to move on from the sport. But um, also he also played soccer uh, while he was in school. So he's a he was a two two sport athlete, which you don't really see see much anymore. So that was a pretty pretty cool deal. Um, but yeah, he's always been uh, really involved in sports. So got me uh, started early. Um, but never really, never really forced me to, to play, um, kind of allowed me to, to fall in love with the game. And, um, I was, I was the one who was always pushing him to go out and hit with me. He was never, uh, you know, putting, putting it on me. Um, and then as time went on, things became more serious, started playing more tournaments. And, um, it's crazy to think that, uh, that here, here we are now, um, almost through my, almost my college career, but, uh, it's been a, been an awesome journey, but, uh, you know, I really appreciate him for introducing me, but allowing me to uh, be the one to take the reins and uh, and fall in love with the sport. So. Yeah, so Zeke, tell us a little bit about your mom and dad uh, further. You know, I remember the first time I met your parents, it was at the, the Junior U.S. Open. And uh, I'll never forget, you were playing and you hit a, I can't remember, it was a forehand or backhand. I think you broke your wrist on that shot, tried to really tough it out. Um, and that was the first time my son and I had really seen the junior open but it was interesting talking to your mom she I learned a lot just in that hour sitting beside her talking to her kind of tell us about both your mom and dad what they do for a living and how they've affected your tenants yeah so so both my parents are in education uh my my mom was a teacher for a long time uh now works for HMH who is branched off of Scholastic and she works on uh, she used to travel around training teachers the specific curriculum and is now in more in in a little bit higher role where she now is scheduling and sending off these, uh, training professionals. So, um, that's what she does. And then my dad's, a, uh, he, he's a high school, high school math teacher, um, and the principal of the high school that I went to. So, um, so both in education, um, you know, it's, uh, it's funny what, uh, what you said, uh, about the, uh, about the junior U S open and, uh, being able to sit next to my mom and, and, and talk to her a little bit. She's been, she, she didn't play, uh, she played like a little bit of tennis growing up, but was not as involved in athletics as, as my dad, but has been such a rock, uh, for me throughout my, uh, I mean, not only in athletics as somebody I can go to just as a, uh, you know, to play that support role. Um, but she, uh, it's been, uh, unbelievable just to just to have somebody so so supportive in my in my corner um and at the junior u.s open yeah i was playing quarantine mute who's now 
I don't know, 30 or 30 or 40 in the world. Uh, it was the first point of the match. Uh, he hit a lefty serve to my backhand, hit it late. My wrist went. I felt it go. Battled as hard as I could because it's, I mean, you're at the Junior U.S. Open. It's a, I'm playing in a big court, lots of people watching. I was like, gosh, this is such an unbelievable opportunity. And to not be able to play it 100% really killed me. But I did everything that I could. Um, but it's funny for you to be able to talk to her during that time. Um, she's always been a, uh, been a rock for me. And I, I really appreciate everything she's, she's done for me. She's been just as influential as my, as my dad has. So as, as much as I like to talk about my dad being the one to start me, um, he's the one who, kn who knows much more about tennis, but my mom has been just as supportive. So, uh, both of them combined is uh, they're they're the ones that have allowed me to uh, you know to grow into the player and person that that I am today. So that's a little bit a little bit more background on uh, on them. And so maybe going back to sort of after you know your dad introduced you to the game, what kind of tennis program or what kind of um, you know how many hours a week and how what was your sort of regiment as a as a twelve and under type of player, and, and where was that at? Did you keep working with your dad, or I know you moved on to Tucker at some point. When did that happen, and, and what did your training look like at say twelve and under? Yeah, so so early on, uh, my dad was—I mean, my dad was a coach until I was until I was sixteen years old. Uh, I didn't do any private lessons, but I trained out of Tucker Tennis Academy in uh, in Tulsa, and I would just do their uh, their after school drill from two thirty to five thirty, and um, that's that's what I did. Uh, I I mean, I was at that point, I was. I, invested enough in my tennis i would go out with my dad a lot do a lot of extra hitting uh with him but it was really just that time that i was at uh, that i was at tucker was just in the kind of in the after school program but as i started getting into the 14s 16s that's when things really in terms of my training became more serious but early on um yeah i was i was doing that five times a week and then Playing, maybe playing some practice matches and stuff on the weekends. Um, so I'd say, yeah, probably two and a half, three hours a day on court. Uh, and then the weekends, I mean, I'll take a day off, maybe a little bit lighter on Saturday, Sunday. But during the week, yeah, two to three hours on court um, was was just about what I was uh, what I was getting in. And that's really all I felt like I, I needed. I didn't feel like I really needed. Were you playing on tournaments like every other weekend? Or what was your tournament schedule like in yeah. the 12s? Yeah, I was I was probably playing a tournament or two a month. Um, so it's pretty pretty busy schedule, but um, yeah, definitely started to, started to amp that up as as things went along. But yeah, I'd say one one to two weekends a month. I was I was probably playing a tournament, twelve hundred. Yeah, and then so you say when you got to be like so sort of once you graduated from the twelve, you know, you started having to ramp that up. Is that so? How did that training look when you moved from you know say elementary school to junior high and, 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 and above. Yeah. I, I feel like as my, as my body started to, to develop a little bit, I feel like I could push it a little bit more. Um, yeah. Four, 16s. That's when I started to do a session in the morning and then session in the afternoon. So that's when I, um, I kind of added an additional training session in there. Um, the guys were getting bigger, stronger. So I felt like I, I really needed to start pushing cause I don't necessarily have the, the physical attributes that a lot of these guys have. I'm, I'm five, seven on a, on a good day and, um, not, not the biggest, not the strongest. So I, I really, that's, I, I'm such a competitive guy. I, I knew I had to put in the extra work at an early age because, or, or, or else I wouldn't be able to compete with, you know, these, these bigger, older, stronger guys. So, 
Um, that's so. What did that when you, when you say you had like a morning session and an afternoon session? What specifically were you working on in the mornings versus the afternoons, and and how are those two different, and how do they complement each other? Yeah, in the morning was always a little bit uh, a little bit more structured in terms of drilling, uh, control type uh, scenarios. There wasn't really a lot of point play, um, so that's was when I was really trying to dial in my specific exactly what I needed to be working on, try to get as specific as I can, not just, not just hitting balls to hit balls. All right. These are the couple of things that I'm focused on, get after it. And then in the afternoon was a little bit more put trying to tie it all together a little bit more, uh, on the side of competition. It wasn't always necessarily sets, but, uh, trying to put that into play a little bit more. So that's how I tried to schedule my, uh, my, my training sessions, uh, kind of early on. So, it makes a lot of sense. I think that that's a good combination because I think you need both, you know, the competition and the specifics, um, you know, skill, skill development. And if you only sure. do one of those sessions, you're probably going to shortchange one or the other and yeah. so you're going to get the complete player. So I think doing that combination, you know, morning, afternoon session where you focus on, you know, development in the morning and then say competition in the afternoon, you know, it just makes a, a more well, well-rounded player. So I think that's, I think it's really smart uh, design. Hey Zeke, so talk about other sports. I remember your mom talking a lot and and, and she was very uh you know, she got excited talking about you playing basketball. Yeah. Um so talk talk to me a little bit about how multiple sports affected tennis negatively and positively. To be completely honest, I feel like other sports really only affected my tennis in a pot in a positive manner. Um not only did it give me uh, some cross training just to do something a, a little bit different, but I feel like it also allowed me that mental break, if you will, just to get away from the, all the pressures and, and the tennis world. So small, like sometimes it's just tennis, tennis, tennis all the time. So for me to have th- that break, to get away from, from that and to be around people who knew nothing about tennis, I wasn't focused on my tennis. I was focused on soccer, basketball, whatever I was playing. I feel like allowed me that <laughs> a little bit of that, that freedom, if you will. And I feel like that, um, was, was great for me. Um, early on, it can be so much. People are now starting to, um, focus on one sport so early on and you're starting to see a little bit more burnout. And I think to, for me to have uh, a little bit of that reset was, uh, was very beneficial. Um, I played soccer and basketball till I was 15, uh, obviously nowhere close to as competitively as I, as I played tennis, but, um, played at the high school level, played soccer at a little bit higher level, uh, was on, was on a travel team. Uh, I loved, I loved both soccer and basketball a lot. I really enjoyed playing. Um, but I, I feel like there was really no, uh, I mean, maybe in just in terms of putting yourself at risk of injury. Uh, I, I knew that, um, I mean, I'm competitive. I tried the hardest that I could. So maybe that was the one negative of playing those sports, but, for me, I, I really thought it was it was very 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 positive, but it obviously got to the point where I needed to focus on my 100% focus on my tennis because traveling was getting too crazy. Uh, I would have to miss too many basketball games, too many soccer games. It was just too much. Um, so I did get to that point where I did obviously was going to choose tennis because that's what I was best at, what I loved to do the most. Um, but I mean, until I was 15 years old, I feel like that was one of the best things that my parents allowed me to do was was to play other sports. All right. So talk about kind of your, um, you know, I think tennis is, is a lot of a kind of a sine curve. If you look in math, what a sine curve looks like, there's a lot of ups and downs 
And talk about uh, as you were growing and you, you know, you talked about being five, seven on a good day. So as you competed at the highest levels, I mean, Scott and I were looking at some of the, the, the winners of some of the 12 and under USTA events and they've already got beards and, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so how, how did you, were there moments where you felt like, man, I'm getting behind and you felt down. And then were there moments where you started having some success and what did those up and downs look like? Uh, of course, there's, there's always going to be ups and downs in any, in any sport for any athlete. That's just the, that's, that's the beauty of it. Um, that's the, what keeps you coming back is, um, is when things get tough, it, it makes it that much sweeter to, to succeed. And, um, you know, in the, in the 12 and unders, I, I had some success. I was maybe, I don't know, top 15 in the country, top 20 in the country. So that showed promise that, all right, I was playing with the best kids in the country. Um, that gave me, that gave me a lot of hope, but I, I, at that time I was just enjoying playing. That's really all it was. Um, just enjoying playing. And then in the 14 and unders, my national ranking ended up better than in the 12. So it showed that I was progressing. And then in the 16s, my national rank was higher than it was in the 14. So it showed more promise Then in the 18 unders was higher than it was in the 16. So I showed continued growth, which is obviously what you want. Um, I felt like my game was progressing. I was getting better. I was developing different skills. Um, but that didn't come with a lot of failures. I mean, there's only one person that comes on top every week, uh, as a, as a tennis player, you, you, you learn to lose you, you, you learn to become a good loser and you learn and you learn to learn from your losses. And, um, if you can do that, it, it really, I mean, it benefits you more than, more than winning at times. Winning is great. I love to win, but if you can, uh, take what wasn't working, what you weren't doing, doing well and your losses work on it can actually make you make you a better player long-term. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I got knocked down a lot, but, uh, I feel like that's probably one of my biggest strengths is my resiliency and ability to get back up, uh, after being knocked down. So I'm, I'm not afraid to go out there and put myself against the best. Um, uh, I'll go after it. I'll do everything that I can. If I take, I'm, I know I'm going to take my losses, but, uh, I'll rebound and, and do my best to become uh, and get back a better player than I than I was before. So. Yeah, and one of the challenges when you're one of the smaller players on the court is is injuries, like we talked about earlier. So, how much did how, how were you did you have injuries along the way, and how did you have to adjust your training and how you handled tournaments as a result of protecting your body? Yeah, I mean, knock on wood. Um, I, I do the best that I can to take care of my body because I know with my style of play, it's pretty, pretty grueling, uh, long points. So I know my body's my, my biggest asset. My legs are very, very important to me. Um, if I don't have those, I'm not going to be very good at the end of the day. So, uh, I've, I have had injuries and those have, that was, those have made me realize just how, in, how important it is to take care of your body. Um, I had some like, like you mentioned earlier, uh, I stress fractured my wrist at the open. Um, I had had some wrist problems prior to that. Um, I've had some little nagging things here and there in college. Um, but my wrist, uh, after actually maybe a week after the U S open, I had surgery on my wrist. So that's been the one major injury that I've had. Um, yeah, like I said, I had, I've had some nagging things here and there in college, but I've really, 
it was after that wrist injury. I was like, all right, being out for an extended period of time sucks. I, I hate being on the side. I hate watching. I want to play. I want to play. And so I've, I've really taken that upon myself to make sure I'm taking care of my body because, um, you know, after this, I'm going to start playing professional tennis. And that's uh, if you're not healthy, you're not playing. If you're not playing, you're not you're not making a living. You're not putting yourself in a position to, to move up. So your body's your biggest asset. So you got to make sure you're uh, you're taking care of it. So when you were younger, even in the 12 and under, how did you adjust? I mean, you know, it, especially being a smaller kid, how did you adjust your quantity? How did you adjust your, your volume of play? And if you went to a tournament playing doubles and singles, and I'm sure you made it deep into the tournament, you know, and, and the longer you go, the more worn out you probably were. So how did you adjust even at a young age for, for parents? Because a lot of the parents that watch our podcast, have, you know, have 10, 11, 12-year-old children that they're trying to figure out how much is enough. But how, what, where the line is where you've crossed into too much? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. Um, to be to be completely honest, that was a that was a fine line that I really didn't find until I got to college. Um, Brad Dancer, my coach here at Illinois, has always preached to me quality over quantity. Quality over quantity has always been his motto for me because he knew I would sit out there and practice for ten hours a day if I could. Um, but he's like, that's not good necessarily for you, your body moving forward, we need to cut down on your time on court, get really focused. And this is what we're doing. Do it well, get off the court, focus on your body, focus on your fitness. That's it. Um, so I would say in the, in the juniors, that's something that I, that I struggle with. And I know a lot of kids do struggle with this. How hard do I push? Do I keep pushing? It's, it's funny. Cause you base that kind of off of how you're feeling on the court. If you're not feeling great, you feel like you need more time on the court and that can actually be end up being a detriment to your game uh, moving forward. You can overdo things, get some overuse injuries that can really set you back. Um, so that's something that I, I wish I would have preached to my younger self. Quality over quantity, I think, is, is so important uh, in our game. Uh, of course, we play a repetition sport. Uh, if you, if you want to get good, reps help a lot. But quality reps more than quantity reps is uh, – you know, something that I'll now forever preach to kids kind of that were, uh, that are in my, that were, um, or that are kind of coming up now. Um, that's something that I'll definitely, uh, you know, kind of base my experience and, and say to them. Um, so, uh, that's kind of the advice that I would give to parents watching this, whoever may be watching this. Um, and that's something I, that I didn't learn until I was 18, 19 years old. So it, it took time. Uh, but I think the earlier you can implement that better. So, so, Hey, I want to take a quick second here to talk a little bit about, you know, Tucker tennis Academy. I know that that's the first place that I happen to see you, you, um, you know, practice and play. And my son's been there a few times. And, you know, one of the things I was most impressed with when I, when I got there was just seeing the quality of the level of the players there, you know, on one court you had, you know, you were playing with Nathan Hahn, who was number you know two in the country, with Pierce Rollins, number you know top ten player, and Nico Hang, who's like number one, and girls you know that are really high level as well. It's pretty amazing that an academy in Tulsa, Oklahoma, can produce that quality of players. What do you attribute that success to? Yeah, I, I mean, I've been I've been asked that that question a lot uh, growing up, 
even to this day. Uh, how did you become the player that you are in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, of all places? And to be honest, I think I think Tulsa is a it's a uh, I mean, we've we've been cranking out top division one players for uh, for a long time. Uh, we've created a culture, I think, at TTA that that's that's what we do. Uh, we all push each other really hard. Uh, Trent Tucker obviously laid down that fa- that foundation. He was a very successful D1 player himself, has this this amazing love for the sport, love for personal growth. And I think he just instilled that in a lot of his first players who were kind of my mentors growing up. Um, so, I, I mean, I credit him more than I credit anybody else just instilling that in, um, in all the TTA kids. Uh, so I had that ingrained in me at an early age because of the kids that he had first. So I was kind of the second generation. Um, but that first generation kids, um, I, there were so many of them that played D one tennis. So I just always looked up to them, saw what they were doing, would try to emulate them. Um, so that allowed me to, uh, kind of grasp some different concepts early on. So if I didn't have those examples, maybe I would be a completely different tennis player than I am now. Uh, so Trent did an unbelievable job. And now Matias Marin, who was who was my coach starting at 16 years old, whenever he came uh, from a club in Florida, um, you know, he's kind of continued on this this culture uh, and is another guy who uh, is really all in. Um, will do anything for all the kids at TTA is is always there for us. I'm still in touch with him all the time. Um, one of my one of my best friends, my coach, uh, he's uh, he's great. Um, so those two have, have really uh, you know, created a, a world-class academy in a place where a lot of people think would be, it would be impossible. Um, so I'm glad that, um, you know, the ones before me now, me, William Jennison, Morgan Kopic, Vanessa Ong, Nathan, Nathan Hahn, Pierce Rollins, we can kind of set examples for the next group and then that, that next group for the next group. And, you know, to be able to go back to still see, um, you know, all the kids getting after it, like, like we did when we were there is, uh, it's really great to see, um, and it always brings me great pride to, to see them still can consistently cranking out some of the best players in the country. So, Right. Yeah. And like I say, the first morning that I dropped my son out there, I just sort of hung around a little, little bit to observe. And you know, I see you over there pumping your fist because you won a ground game, you know, and you can just sort of see that, you know, if, if this guy here, who's, you know, the top of the top of the group is out there working just as hard as everyone else needs pump to win a point in a, in a practice, then that's just going to carry down to all the other kids and they're going to see that that's how you practice and that's how you play. So it's so important to see that modeling of top players being one court away from a 12 year old and they sort of see, okay, that's how you play. That's how you play tennis. And that's how, that's how you react when you, when you, when you play well. So I think that, you know, just like you said, the the first generation that you may, may have looked up to now the third generation is looking up to you guys. And uh, it's great to, to have you guys there as role models. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a that's a role that I think we all feel like when we're there is we want to be the best models that we can for the for the next group because it really does bring us brings brings me. I know it brings Trent Matias great pride to see this consistent crop of uh, of top top juniors coming out of the program. So that's uh, the best that we can do is is set an example. Yeah, and I, and I'd also point out that it's not just the work that's on the court, but it's also the conditioning. You know, you do stuff with, you know, James Shaughnessy, who's really an innovator and in some of the, um, you know, exercise science. And so it's like you guys really leave no stone unturned when you're trying to create the best possible tennis player you can create. 
You know, it's, it's not just, well, we're going to go out there and work for four hours on the court and we'll be as good as we, we can be. It seems like you're really pushing the limits as far as what type of training w- w- that, that, that they're going to use and then what kind of, you know, technique would, would be most optimal. So it's, it really is pushing the envelope as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Shaughnessy's been incredible to have the technology that we now have access to with him is uh, you can't, can't get that anywhere else. So, I mean, to have that, have that there is, is great. Um, most all of the kids uh, are working with him in some form, some more than others. But I mean, it's it's incredible what he's able to do. Uh, really, is cutting edge stuff. Uh, so to, ha- to have him along uh, puts puts all of our kids in a um, in an advantageous spot to to others, and can can only it can really only help. So. Yeah. And I think also, you know, after having met your mom, clearly your parents were high expectation people. Right. And so when you get a whole bunch of high expectation people at one academy, they're going to all push each other to make each other better. Right. And I'm sure that if you had you were probably one of the top kids there, but you had somebody there or multiple people there constantly pushing you. And so you might not have got as good if you'd have been by yourself somewhere, but being there with others pushing you makes a huge, huge difference. So how much, in your opinion, how much did that environment contribute to the player you became? Do you think you'd have been that same player if you'd have been just with a coach independently? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, I had coaches around me. I had players around me. I, I mean, it's endless the amount of people that were there to push me. Um, Three of my best friends, William Jennison, who's at Stanford, Kenneth Boykin, who graduated from Oral Roberts, had a tremendous career, and Jackson Fine, who uh, graduate, graduated from Abilene Christian, uh, and then also Nathan and Pierce. Nathan's at OU, Pierce's at Texas A&M. We're all guys that were there to, um, to really, really push me at, at all times. Um, we were, uh, we're all best friends, but when we're on the court, we mean business. We all want to beat each other. We all hate losing to each other. So that just created that, um, a little bit of that tension that you need is it's funny. Trent always talked about the popcorn effect. It, it takes one person to push another, that person pushes another, and then other people see that these people are competing really hard. And then others start to, then you just have this boom, 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 boom. People start, they start popping out of nowhere. Then results come and it's, uh, it's crazy just what one or two different com- very competitive people in the right way. Obviously, being very competitive can bring the level down if it's maybe not used in, in the right way. But, you know, I, I thank those guys. I mean, to this day, they're my best friends. I thank them for pushing me every day. I, I know I wouldn't be the player with, that I am without them. And then my parents, Trent and Matias, for never being satisfied with, with where I'm at, always always telling me that I can do more, that um, obviously they're happy with my success, but um, I, I, I credit them to always keeping a level head on my shoulders that, all right, this is the success I've had, but let's, let's try to push for more. Let's be better. Um, you know, that's something that I still uh, use as kind of my, my motto today. Uh, so without that amazing group of people, I, I know I wouldn't be the, the player or person that, that I am today. Zeke, one of the questions that I've got is, and I kind of wondered, and I have always wondered it, what made you choose Illinois? As you were going through your college choice, can you kind of tell us about your recruitment, what the schools you thought about choosing, and then what made you choose Illinois? Yeah, I, 
it's it's so funny um so brad brad dancer the head coach here he was he was always around um obviously he couldn't start formally talking to me until the beginning of my junior year but i would see brad at tournaments all the time he'd kind of make small talk with me he's really kind of one of the only college coaches that i'd see that would go out of his way to say hi and introduce himself and um, so I just always thought that as a kid, you just think that's so cool. Like, oh my gosh, this college coach wants to talk to me. Um, so he made an impression on me early on. And then uh, this guy named Ross Guion, who was an All-American uh, at Illinois, who uh, played in the same section that I did, played in the Missouri Valley, was always in the, he was in the 18s whenever I was in the, maybe at the beginning of my fort, and maybe I was 13, I don't know, 12 or 13. So I always grew up, he would win everything. And I just thought, uh, he, I thought he was the best. He was such a grinder. He scrapped really hard. Uh, that's what kind of inspired me to, you know, to have that kind of gritty personality. I was watching Ross play, um, and whenever he committed to Illinois, I was like, oh my gosh, that'd be so cool to even be considered to go to the same school as as Ross. So when I would see Brad, I just he had this aura around him, like, oh my gosh, Brad Dancer, Ross, Illinois tennis. Um, so that was always always kind of on my mind. Um, and Ross was kind of, he was, a, I mean, he, to this day, he's a mentor to me. He always stayed, always stayed in touch with me. Even when I was 13, 14 would check in on me, make sure I was doing okay. Always asking if I needed anything. So I just thought that was super cool. And then come my junior year, Brad could formally reach out, reached out right away. Uh, we got my unofficial visit set up. Um, Illinois was the first unofficial visit I took. Uh, I fell in love with the school right away. Um, all the guys are super close. There's, there's team chemistry that we still have to this day that I don't think any other program has, um, just such a, such a tight knit group of guys, uh, Brad and Brad and coast are, um, unbelievable, uh, to, uh, you know, obviously very invested guys who are always pushing us to be better. Um, I've always wanted to be a professional tennis player and, uh, Illinois has cranked out more. I mean, some of the best professional tennis players to ever come out of college tennis, uh, Kevin Anderson, Rajiv Ram, Ryler DeHart, the Amir Delich, the the list goes on and on. So um, they we have a model that works, and we continue to to crank out some of the best professionals. And I took other visits, other unofficial visits. Um, I was interested in OU, Baylor, uh, a couple other schools. But after I took my visit to Illinois, I I was sold. I really didn't want to visit anywhere else. Um, so that's uh, yeah, that's a little bit of. Uh, little bit of a background on on how I ended up in Illinois and to, don't regret it one bit. And so do you like, you know, you know, it's in Champaign, Illinois, so it's in the middle of sort of nowhere. I mean, what's, right. what's that like playing in such a sort of like isolated area? And I know they've got really rowdy crowds, but you mm-hmm. know, how, I mean, it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense for, in terms of, you know, someone who maybe has never been there as to why Illinois can produce such a great program in tennis when it's really not, you know, it's just in the middle of the country. It's not really what you'd call a tennis hotbed, um, but they are passionate about it. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, it's funny because I feel like it it ties into kind of the the whole Tucker thing. It's it's all it's all about culture at Illinois. It's all about culture back home in, in Tulsa. Uh, it started with Craig Tiley, who came before Brad. That came before Brad. He's now the director of Tennis Australia. He just created this team culture that. Um, that he believed and his guys believed nobody else had just this very tight knit group of very competitive guys who are always pushing each other, always there for each other. And, uh, when Craig left, Brad 
was there to step in and, and kind of continue that, that tradition, that culture, and still preaches it all the time. And yeah, there's so many people would think Champaign, Illinois, like how, how is it happening there? How can you have a, a division one collegiate powerhouse in the middle of nowhere? And it's, that's all it is. We, we preach the culture. We'll continue to preach the culture. That's, that's what our program's all about. We bring in guys who are very invested in their tennis. They want to take it to the next level, um, can fit in with a team, aren't selfish, willing to do things for others. And, you know, that just, that just goes such a long way. And I've come to absolutely love champagne. Uh, it'll forever be a second home to me. Um, it's a it's a college it's it's a little college town. Once you get out off campus, there's obviously I, I couldn't even tell you how many people live in Champaign. But uh, once you get off campus, it might seem to to many people just like oh yeah, it's just a, just a little town. But um, you know, campus is where all the energy really is, and um, you know, we try to do our part to bring that energy for everybody that comes out to watch. Uh, we have such a loyal fan base. Um, they're they're out as much as they, as much as they can. Obviously, this year it wasn't until NCAA's that we could have a have a full crowd, which it was awesome to have Atkins uh, Atkins filled again, like it always is. Um, so it was a little bit weird this year not having the same atmosphere that we normally do. But um, it's like you said, Champagne Champagne in Illinois is a it's a hotbed for tennis because of the culture that we've created, and uh, I think that uh, that culture is uh, it's here to stay. It's it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Well, hey, if I can share my screen real quick, I got a question for you. I'm looking at your website. Um, I can't share my screen, Robert. Try again. I think I said it up. Okay. So let me see. So let's see. Can you see my screen? Uh, Not yet. Um, can we? There we go. It's coming. There we go. All right. So. Uh, one, I, I like the evolution of the hair going from you know, the freshman to wild sophomore, then down to business as a senior. Yes, yes, yes. That's hilarious. The evolution. But, but what the I like evolution the best, of the hair. That's good yeah. stuff right there. But what I like the best is that, you know, you're listed as five, six, freshman through senior, but then on your, you know, your, your second senior year, now you're five, eight <laughs> with an arrow. So you're that, trending up on the height. So that's you're so trending funny. up. <laughs> that's so funny you bring that up. We were uh, we were at uh, we were at Nebraska a couple weeks ago. Um, it, we were there playing. Yeah, we were just playing Nebraska. It wasn't at yeah, it wasn't at the Big Ten tournament. It was a couple weeks before playing Nebraska, and uh, our and Brad was on the phone with our uh, with our SID, our media, our media girl, and uh, I was like. I'd always kind of been messing around with the guys like, Oh, it'd be so funny if I just like listed myself as like six, seven or six, eight. <laughs> and then uh, everybody would like see the, the, the roster picture, see the profile and be like, Oh, this guy's going to be huge. You mean a huge dude. And I, and I come out, I'm <laughs> like I said, I'm five, seven on a good day <laughs> on a, on a great day. I'm five, seven. And uh, so we just, it was just kind of this ongoing joke. And so I, <laughs> Uh, I asked Brad when he was talking to her, I was like, Hey, can I talk to her for a second? I have a question. So I, uh, I, I took the phone from her and asked her if she could put, uh, that I was six, two on, uh, on the roster. And she was like, I'll give you five, eight. I was like, perfect. <laughs> and, uh, so that was just <laughs> kind of an ongoing joke that, uh, that ended up following through. So, um, 
hopefully that can give give me a, a little bit of a different uh, view in some people's eyes if they just if they see me in person but just look at my uh my illinois roster picture <laughs> all right uh let's see how do i stop you uh, stop you all right so anyways, i thought that was funny but, but, but i like the uh, arrow next to the 5-8 showing that the trend was going up so going yeah, up. i love it love it always hope that i'm still growing always hope <laughs> there's always hope right always hope yeah well, hey um so i know that you're there in orlando you're getting ready for um the ncaa's you guys play florida tomorrow um you know talk a little bit about i know you've had a big senior year you've had a couple of huge matches where you've clinched you know four or three matches and really important matches against virginia in the indoors and then to win the big 10 championship um, against Ohio State, you know, some people put an asterisk there because Purdue wasn't in the tournament, but I don't, I don't put an asterisk there. I think that was legitimate. So oh, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. um, um, but anyways, you know, so you, you had those two huge matches. How do you, what, what's the feeling like being the last guy on the match? And like, if you don't win the match, your team loses the, the tournament, loses, you know, indoors or wherever. How, how do you have that kind of deal with that kind of pressure and how do you prepare for it? The, I've always told myself that the the best way to prepare is is by experience, by putting yourself in that situation. Uh, you can't be can't be afraid of of putting yourself out there and failing. Um, I go out in every match knowing that I can lose. I can lose to anybody. I can I go out there and believe I can beat anybody. And not putting that crazy expectation on yourself that you have to win that match really takes a lot of a lot of pressure. I, I feel like it takes a lot of pressure off my shoulders. Um, so early on in my career, I was in just with the way that I play uh, a lot of long, grueling points. I'm usually, if the match goes long, I'm usually one of the last guys out there. Uh, I usually don't finish my matches very quick. Um, so if the match is close, I'm, I'm usually, uh, unless I lose quick, uh, I'm, I'm probably still out there. Uh, and my freshman, sophomore year, I, I lost a couple three, three matches and, uh, to me, it was devastating to not be able to pull through for my team when it really matters. Uh, you know, it, it definitely hits a little bit different when it's for your team, not just for yourself. Um, so that that really ate at me. Um, but I, I feel like that was kind of a part of my my maturation process. Uh, kind of as things have gone along, I've um, kind of put it upon myself that I know a lot of the other guys on my team look up to me as a leader, and you have to take that upon yourself that. All right. In the pressure moments, I know my teammates trust trust me. It's time to start trusting myself. Um, and I, I think I clinched my first three three match against Penn State my junior year, and then have had had a couple more couple more big ones against number one USC and National Indoors Virginia. Obviously, uh, at at Big Tens against Ohio State, a team that we haven't beaten in my five years here. Um, so I've been I've won and lost in that situation, but I think losing before winning and learning from those experiences was, was really the best way to deal, deal with that pressure um, and not try to get too down on myself, uh, figure out ex the exact mental space I was in, uh, being able to take a step, step back and, and look at, okay, how can I be better the next time it comes around? And, uh, and I have been, I'm not saying I'm going to be perfect, uh, but um, being able to learn from those experiences and be in them many times has uh, really helped me perform um, perform at a higher level under those pressure situations. Hey, Scott, I think you're muted. 
as I say, well, hopefully, you know, you've got uh, at least one more shot, maybe three more shots, um, depending on how the tournament goes. But you have Florida in the first round, and uh, you know, um, so what is your what is y'all's um, preparation for that match? I know you guys got down there a few days ago to get used to the heat, but uh, you know, is it really just one of the things? Just get used to the heat and just play tennis. Yeah, a hundred percent. We uh, obviously uh, much different conditions here than in Illinois, so to get here to get used to the weather was, uh, was big for us. Um, but in terms of our tennis preparations, nothing has changed just because we're playing Florida as opposed to Ohio state or whoever, or Michigan, or you name it, our preparation stays the same. Um, I feel like we're all very, very confident right now, very focused. Um, I feel very good with, with where we're at. Uh, but, uh, our mentality going into the match tomorrow is going to be no different than it has been the whole year. Um, we're obviously very excited. The Gators are going to be a, a, a big challenge for us, but um, you know I'm very confident in myself and the rest of the guys that we've uh, we put in the in the hard yards and we're uh, we're ready to uh, to do what it takes. So yeah, it's it's a it's a really good first round match. You know, unfortunate for you guys and for Florida that you're you know you're both playing each other in the first round here or the round of sixteen, right? Um, with the seeding the way it is, but uh, you guys deserve a much higher seed than that. And, you know, this should be a, this should be like at least a quarterfinal or semifinal type match. But uh, we get it, we get it early, so it should be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're super excited. Um, we're not not going to complain about the the, se- the seeding. It is, it is what it is. It's a crazy year. Yeah, um, we know that. Uh, we're just uh, we're just excited for the challenge. So. Hey, Robert. Before we jump into the fast feed, do you want to ask any other questions? Yeah, the, the the last one I have is uh, just thinking about your game style. I'm, I'm on your UTR page. Uh, you're a 13.3. You probably don't ever look at that. But I just wanted to look at where you where you were. And as I watch your game style, you know, one of the things I hear people talk a lot about is as you get into the 16s and 18s, and it's obvious even in the pros how important the serve is. Yeah. And so, so – Tell us about your game style. Uh, if is the serve something you really rely on, or are you more of a grinder that who's going to just fight out every point and, and make people feel like the only way they're winning a point is to hit a winner? Kind of explain to us your game style because there are going to be some some guys that play and listen to our podcast that they aren't six six like you talked about, and they don't hit a hundred and thirty mile an hour serve. So holding serve is a little bit more difficult. So it's impressive the rise you've had at the height that you are, which speaks to what your mom said, what a great athlete you are. But just kind of talk to us about your game style. Yeah, I'd say coming into school, I was solely a grinder. Uh, I really didn't have any weapons. I was willing to stay out there all day, but I, I, I would really depend on the person that I was playing beating themselves. And it it worked. It, it worked. I had some success. I got to whatever, maybe forty five in the world juniors, which was which was great. Uh, um, but really, to make that next jump, I had to start to develop some weapons. And all right, how can I take what I have and really hurt somebody? Um, I'll always consider my mind and my legs my biggest weapons. Uh, my ability uh, to re- to to dig deep at any moment. Um, my, my physical to stay out there all day long. Um, those are, those are my greatest strengths, but, um, you know, that's something that Brad uh, has really, I mean, I get on court with Brad every day and we get very focused on 
couple specific things and we get after it. Um, and we've, we've really tried to develop some different weapons. Uh, I'd say my forehand coming into college was very, very, very average at best. I had a very, I had a reliable backhand. I rarely ever missed my backhand. Uh, but my forehand was, was pretty weak. Um, so we, that was kind of the, our first task was tackling the forehand. Um, and now I feel like I can, I can really turn my forehand. I can dictate with it. It's reliable. Um, so that was kind of our, our first big task. Um, I had to get stronger. Uh, I I've gotten much stronger since I've been here. I have to be able to use my legs even more than I did in the 18 and unders. Now that I'm playing at the highest level of college and then I'm going to have to get stronger to play at the highest level of professional tennis. So really focusing on my fitness and my strength has been big. Um, and then, like you said, my serve, I focus on my serve every day. Uh, I'm not going to go out there and blast 15, 20 aces by somebody, but I'm continually, uh, I maybe changed my technique 10 times since I've always like tinkering with it. How can I, how can this be better? Um, Shaughnessy has been a, been a big help back home. He's helped me a lot with my serve. Uh, so that's something I do focus on a lot, even as a little guy, because that's the one shot in tennis you have full control over. So it's, I think it'd be silly to not focus on your serve 15, 20 minutes a day. Um, cause that's you, it, every single shot that you, every single other shot is dependent on what you're getting. So you're it, no shots going to be the same, but the serve, you can get your toss down technique down. You can, it, it's a, it's a consistency thing. You can hit this. If you dial it in, you can hit the same serve every time. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's a shot that I focus on a lot. Uh, I credit my assistant coach a lot too. I work with him with, with Marcos every day on it. He's been, he's been a big help. Um, I serves really come a long way. I get free points off of it now, which I used to never get. Um, maybe, maybe sneaking in an ace or two, uh, every once in a while, which is nice. Um, I mean, I like to grind, don't get me wrong, but it's nice. <laughs> I, uh, nice to have some, uh, some short points every once in a while. So, um, how, how much does the placement, how much has the, of the, has the placement of the serve been a, a, a focus of your big, big, uh, again, I'm not going to blow somebody off with a, with a one, with a one thirty serve. I'm not just going to blow them off the court. Uh, placement for me is huge. It's huge. If I can hit a 105 mile an hour serve with perfect placement, I'm going to put myself in a really good spot. Uh, and I know that, uh, against anybody. Um, so placement's big, uh, obviously speed is nice. Uh, if you have the ability to hit a big serve body and just kind of blow somebody off the court with it, that's great. Um, I have up my mile per hour on my serve big time in the last two years, I've added five or six miles an hour on average to it, which is great. Um, but placement for me will always be much more, much more important than, uh, than speed. Yeah. And, and, you know, being, being your size isn't, isn't, you know, doesn't preclude you from reaching the top levels. You know, you see Ferrer and Schwartzman. And, and so, you know, you see that, but, you know, do you see that no there's any advantages from being say five, seven, five, seven, five, six, is there anything that you might think will be, Hey, I've got an advantage because I am this height or are there none? It, it's funny. You watch, you watch all the little guys, Schwartzman, yeah. Ferrer, uh, duty Sela, you name yeah. it. Um, all guys and you, and you see them compete. I feel like they all kind of take on this warrior mentality right. that I think uh, there are guys that are way more gifted than us physically. They have bomb serves, bomb forehands, and they know they can kind of get away with that at times. 
but they don't necessarily possess that warrior. I'm willing to do anything that it takes mentality because we have to, we, we have to, or we don't have a chance. Um, and I always say to people when they're like, Oh, well, do you wish you were six ten with a bomb serve? I always say, no, no. Uh, I love the way that I do it. It's my own style. Uh, it's different than ev- anybody else. Um, but I feel like that's a similarity. I think that you see in a lot of the, a lot of the little guys, um, it's just that fight in grit. And I mean, Schwartzman's a perfect example right now. Uh, he's, he goes out there, he's, he fights for every point, but can also take it to guys. I mean, you see him right off the baseline, his ability to finish at the net. He's got touch. He's got a, just a blistering forehand. He sets up the point with his serve, solid backhand. He's not just running for his life. He's taking it to a lot of big guys. Yeah. Um, put himself in the position that he is. So he's a big, obviously a big inspiration to me. But I think across the board, that's kind of the similarity that you see and something that I, that I try to own myself. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to, that, that high, you've got to have that mentality, Earl. Yeah, just like what you were saying. Got to have that mentality. So it looks, it looks like we want to jump into the fast speed. So these are just quick, quick questions. Tell us your favorite junior tournament that you play. Well, either the Junior U.S. Open or Junior Australian Open. One of those two. All right. Best thing about college tennis? The atmosphere. Unbelievable. Yeah. Your go-to restaurant on the road? Ooh. Oh, yeah. I hate to be basic, but probably Chipotle. Hey. Every every hundred percent of tennis players we have on the podcast, Chipotle, hundred I mean, percent. I say it, but it's quick, easy, and gets the job done. So you 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 have kept the streak going right there. Um, <laughs> so what's the biggest myth in tennis that you think a lot of people think is true, but you you don't believe it to be true? Uh it goes along to to what we were talking about before. Everybody thinks that there's a specific body type. Six two, whatever that um, that you have to be to be great. Uh, I think that's the craziest thing you could ever say. Um, I feel like there's no uh, there's no limitations as to what anybody can do. If your head's in the right space, you can be an unbelievable player. So there's no no limitations there. All right. So what's something that you believe to be true that others think is crazy, and it doesn't even have to be tennis related. Something you believe to be true that others think is crazy. Uh, to, uh, I, I've always been I've always been a firm believer in th- that the be- that the best in, the best in the world. I I think that they are ones spending the most time off the court focused on their tennis. So that's something that's specifically related to tennis. Everybody's like, oh no, everybody's just focused on their on court, and then they get off the court, and that's it. That's all they do. I think that the best in, the best in the world are. M- much more in tune off the court than they are even on the court. Um, and that's actually a funny debate that I have with some of my teammates that they're like, no, nah, the guys, the best pros in the world aren't doing that much off the court, but I, uh, I have to uh, have to disagree with them there. Yeah. I was actually at the McEnroe Academy. Of, I don't remember four or five years ago when we met uh, Federer and some of the other players and, and they said exactly what you just said. They said for the six hours they might spend off court, they'll spend two on. And yeah. that was kind of their ratio was six to yeah. two. Six on, I mean, six off, preparing, lifting, stretching, eating, doing all the things that you yeah. do, and then two on. 
Oh yeah. I'm uh that that's an that's an interesting uh stat, but I'm I'm not I'm not surprised by it one bit. <laughs> All right. So what is the biggest waste of time? Social media. <laughs> and <laughs> TikTok. Really anything on your phone, which I'm a victim yeah. of, but it's yeah, it's a waste of time. All right, something that junior players should do every single day, but probably don't. Stretch. 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 Scott, you want to ask the next one? Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, I agree with the biggest waste of time, social media, but what is something maybe on the court that you see people doing that you're like, that's just a waste of time to do that? Yeah, and and again, I'm, I'm, I've been victim to it. I still do it sometimes. I think just, I see so many people just hitting, just hitting up the middle, hitting cross courts. I just don't think that there's a whole lot of value in just hitting balls because it's very unrealistic to anything. When do you ever in a point get just a ball up the middle? Like I I used to just want to hit up the middle all the time, just hit balls. But if you're working on technique or something, okay, maybe there's some value in it. But I think just hitting balls to hit balls, there's really no... uh, no value to it if there's no specific purpose. So yeah. purpose, God, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, so let's see. So what is something that you've changed your mind about after you played college tennis? So maybe something that you thought about tennis, but that college tennis has changed your mind about. Yeah, I've, I've just become way more invested than I ever have been on the uh, kind of on the, the evolution of my game, I guess. Okay. Uh, the the progress that I'm making, uh, kind of the journey that I'm on. Uh, I get so caught up in wins and losses, which is important. It's very important to your confidence in professional tennis. That's where you're trying to make your living is it's solely off of results. It's not on your progress. Um, but being able to find some peace in the, in the journey, you're gonna, you're gonna take some, you're gonna take some hits. Um, but the more that I'm able to learn from those hits, the better off I'll be. Um, so trying to take my mind a little bit more off of the wins and losses, a little bit more on the, the tennis side of things. What specifically can I do better? Um, what am I doing? Well, things like that, um, are things that I've, that my mind now tries to focus more on than the wins and losses. Cause if you attach all of your emotions to wins and losses, then you're going to take a probably going to take a hit most weeks, and that can really bring you down, and that could then trickle onto the next week and could put you kind of in a in downward uh, downward spiral. So, being uh, a little bit more process oriented as opposed to result oriented. Sure. All right, a book that influenced you. Uh, actually, a book. The book that I'm reading right now it's called "It Takes What It Takes." Uh, it's uh, about um, Russell Wilson and his his journey, um, kind of the hits that he's took, uh, how much focuses mental preparation. Uh, it's it's really incredible. Uh, all about trying to maintain this this neutral mindset. Not too is high. is is the book only about Russell Wilson, or is he just the example? Sorry, uh, it it is mo- it is mostly about Russell Wilson, but then okay. also talks about Pete Carroll and. And several okay. other several other athletes that um, this this sports psychologist Trevor I'm probably butchering his last name like Moad, Moad or something. Okay. Trevor, it's he's a 
very influential sports psychologist, works with many top sure. athletes. Um, and so it, but it's primarily about Russell Wilson. Okay. And it's, the book is called, it takes what it takes. It takes what it takes. Yeah. Good. Good. Um, let's see. So what's your, do you have a favorite uh, tennis movie or tennis book? Uh, I think the open by Agassi was incredible. Yeah. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed that one. That's, that's kind of the first, first one that pops into mind. That's a great book. Yeah. All right. Best player that you ever hit with. Ooh. Uh, probably my probably my American my American guys Tiafo Opelka Fritz, um, yeah, probably the, those guys. Okay, and were those were those at, at like a USTA uh, practice facility or so, so I, tournaments? I, I, those, or? those were all ma- all matches. To all be matches. Honest, okay, really hit with a lot of top pros, but I've, I've mm-hmm. played against all of those guys many times. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, last one. Um, so give us your plans for the summer and then where do you see yourself in five years? Uh, plans for the summer. I actually just, uh, locked in my first, so starting, uh, starting June 7th, uh, I have my first, uh, I mean my first professional event as a professional, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you will. um, so I'm starting in, uh, in Wichita, then going to Tulsa, and then the champagne. So those are going to be my first three professional events starting okay. soon. So that's, uh, that's where I'll start. Um, right now, just, uh, the, uh, you can usually see all the professional events in one year's time. They'll have everything planned out for the calendar year, but right, right. now mm-hmm. only taking it a month at a time, just given, um, obviously different places with different regulations. So, um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll know where I go from there here in a couple of weeks, but that's where I'm going to start. And then in five years, I, I obviously still want to be playing. Hopefully, in five years, I'm, um, I've, I've worked my way into into Grand Slams, and and that's what I'm doing. That that would be the dream. Um, obviously, I'm I'm not cemented into giving myself a a, a, a locked in period of time yeah. as to how I'm going to play. As long as I'm still loving it, it's what I'm going to do. I've always been a firm believer that if you're not doing something as a profession that, that you love to do, you're doing yourself a big disservice. So as long as I love it, I'm going to keep grinding and uh, we'll see, uh, see where it takes me. Well, we're hopefully you're writing me. a, yeah, hopefully you're writing a book someday called keep grinding. <laughs> <laughs> who, uh, it sounds like- maybe that will, uh, maybe that will uh, come, come to be when I'm, uh, I'm going to have a lot of time on the road. You know, <laughs> uh, what kind of second venture I could take on. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, I like it. Well, we we we, uh, we look forward to seeing you in the summer. I'm sure that uh, you know, with the the summer plans going through the Midwest in this area, there's probably an opportunity that we may cross we, we may cross paths. So hopefully, we can uh, see you play this summer. And uh, good luck to you guys in the in the tournament the rest of the way. I really appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate right, thanks, it, Zeke. Thanks so much. Right. Take care.